Welcome back to our summer series covering the great talks and seminars from Revive, our annual festival bringing together churches from across the network here in London to a field in Canterbury for a weekend of worship, fellowship, and great Bible teaching. The theme this year was Faithful Through the Storm, focusing on both God's faithfulness to us and a reminder because that's true, we can remain faithful to Him. This talk is from Jack Sara, president of Bethlehem Bible College. The talk is entitled, Jesus' Courageous Faithfulness, preaching from Matthew 26. We hope you enjoy. Hello everyone, my name is Deborah and I'm from Redeemer Queens Park. Our passage today um, is Matthew 26, verses 36 to 56. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watching with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go, here comes my betrayer. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12 arrived with him, was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chiefs and priests of the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Jesus said, greetings rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, do what you came for friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? In the hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you, may, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Hey, good morning. Such a text to read from that is so hard and so inspiring. Well, good morning, my dear brothers and sisters. For the, those of you who were here yesterday, I was introduced to you. 
but uh, bring you special greetings from Bethlehem, from Jerusalem. That Jerusalem and that Bethlehem. <laughs> Let you be confused. And uh, so honored to be with you all this morning to share from the Word of God. I was so honored to be invited by the leadership of the Commission Initiative, the leadership of your churches, to share with you during Revive 2023, and to be able to speak on different topics. We started yesterday with talking about suffering and persecution in one of the tents, and uh, I had an audience, only about 100 people, so I forgive you all. <laughs> and. Uh, Later on in the evening, I was able to share a little bit of my testimony and how God, in his mercy, chose me to be his servant, serving him in Jerusalem, serving him in Bethlehem, and our motto goes, we are serving the Lord in his land. But it's a very hard land, it's a very difficult land, and we need your prayers, and uh, as a means of marketing, would you please pray for the ministry of Bethlehem Bible College that I'm leading in Bethlehem. It's a college institution that serves about 200 students annually that want to be trained. Some of them want to be trained to serve the community. Others want to be trained to teach the Word of God and the Bible and Scriptures in their own churches and in schools. And I would appreciate your prayers, your support, specifically for this work, because working among the Palestinian people, my people, in a very complex context, living between two majorities, Muslim on one side, Jewish on the other side, and yet this tiny, small Christian community that has been there for 2,000 years. Why I'm saying this? Because sometimes when I tell people that I am a Palestinian Christian, one of the people would ask me, so when were you converted? And I tell them 2,000 years ago. Because, hello, that's where Christianity started. That's where our faith had started. In my own city, Jerusalem. Yet that very city is still in need of Christ, in need of the gospel, in need of workers, of harvesters, who stand firm amidst all the difficulties, amidst all the troubles, amidst all the hardship that they may face because they are preaching the gospel or just living as a Christian in such a complex atmosphere. So would you please pray for us. Amen? And as I want to reflect on a pericope that I was given and was charged to uh, speak from, let's just close our eyes for a few seconds and commit our hearts and minds to the Lord. Lord, we offer you our minds and hearts, all of us, so that you'll speak into our lives, encourage us, Lord, and may your word be a lamp into our path, so that in the paths that we are walking through in this country and everywhere, Lord, however it is difficult, we can gain and take strength from you, Lord. Amen. Today I was charged with giving a talk on the important story. Story that's mentioned in all the Gospels, all the four Gospels, speak about the same story in different ways. This passage that we have before us in Matthew 26 gives us a glimpse, gives us a small window, or even a larger one, into the humanity of Jesus. 
Yes, we saw him a while ago, calming the storms, silencing the wind, healing the sick, raising the dead. So powerful and the mighty power of God walking around healing every sick person. Yet in this pericope, we see him down on his knees, on his lowest, weakest moments. He was about to face immense suffering and the weight that was impending agony that was causing him deep sorrow. Jesus brings his honest and vulnerable emotions before his heavenly father. He's praying, he's interceding, he's beseeching. At the same time, we see him surrendering himself to the father's will. Yet not my will be done, but yours, O God. Acknowledging that God's plan and purpose might be fulfilled. And as we dive into this text, we see that Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And while he was sitting with them, he goes to a, a place that is so close from where they were sitting, and he started praying. And as the text that was before us, his soul was troubled. Three times he goes back and forth, back and forth to kind of like beseech the disciples, please stay awake with me, stay awake with me. And for some reason, they were so heavy hearted to the point that they were fallen asleep. And no, don't think that because they had just wine at the upper room that they were sleeping. Some people say that. But it's not only that. If you read, for example, in Luke 22, you'll find them, they were asleep because they were filled with sorrow. I know the human nature sometimes, if you are so filled with sorrow, you'll feel like you'll stay awake. But in this case, sometimes... Psychologically speaking, it could bring you to sleep like you're depressed. And as Jesus was praying, he was interceding before God for changing this time. Maybe, maybe saying, maybe something else could be done. Maybe, Father, you could do something else to help me go through this hour. But again, not my will, but your will be done. This moment was so heavy. The scene describing the significance of the guarding of the Gethsemane, which is a place where Jesus grappled with this imminent crucifixion that's going on. But it's not that moment that was so heavy. I mean, this is a, a whole week from Sunday to Thursday of going through all sorts of things, coming on a Sunday tri triumphantly into Jerusalem. I, I read this quote from a guy called Lenwent Morris, who says, it's long, difficult week that was Jesus going through. The Sunday he was cheered as he triumphantly entered Jerusalem. His name was on every lip. On Monday, G Jesus goes into the temple and sees how much the corruption is there and how much the priests and those who should be the ones that lead the people into light, they are leading the people into darkness. On Tuesday, there was a plot that started kind of like acting against Jesus. Tuesday and Wednesday, talking with Judas, agreeing with him when to submit him and when to kind of like tell them where he is. It was like it was a plan that's going day after day after day and Jesus going through these motions. Thursday, the night 
of our study, Jesus had one final meal with his disciples. He had one last night, one last time to try to reach to his closest followers and telling them what was coming, what was going to happen. Saying like we read in John 15, he was teaching them, listen, they hated me, they will hate you. They persecuted me, they will persecute you. And everyone that was called to walk after you might face similar destiny. But this evening at the garden, as he goes away, and if you've been in Jerusalem, how many of you have been in Jerusalem? Great. Well, some of you, and you didn't visit me. <laughs> My goodness. Sadly, I don't pay your checks. <laughs> but living in Jerusalem gives you another kind of like a glimpse into certain settings of where things had happened. And this garden, Gethsemane or Gethsemanim in Hebrew or in Aramaic, is a garden that was so common for Jesus to go to. It's a place where Jesus used to visit often with his disciples. Maybe at one chance he'll be praying with them, another chance he'll be celebrating with them, another chance he'll be teaching them. Because it comes on the slopes of the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives is a place, it's a huge place. It's not a small place or a tiny bit of place where you think that this is where only Jesus would go. It's a mountain ridge and he would move through back and forth from Jerusalem going to Bethany, from Jerusalem going to Bethphage, from Jerusalem going to the Mount of Olives. And all of this, this is not like going from your room to here. You go down, you know, through valleys and you go up through the Kidron Valley and then you go up to the Mount of Olives. Then you go back through the Kidron Valley and you go back to Jerusalem. You could see it on the map. You don't need me to kind of like just describe every little bit of it. But in all the four Gospels, in Matthew 26, in Mark 14, in Luke 22, 39, says Jesus went out as usual, as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. In John 18, 2, it says, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. No wonder Judas knew exactly where is the spot. The Garden of Gethsemane is a poignant setting where we witness Jesus' courageous faithfulness during one of the most critical moments of his earthly ministry. Let us delve into more into the account of Jesus' experience at the Garden, exploring the depth of his faithfulness and the lessons that we can draw from there. You know, the word Gethsemane or Gatshmanim, and I don't want to brag about me knowing Arabic or Aramaic or Hebrew. It just, you know, it's easy to find and Google it or do something. But it's also called the garden, which is across from Jerusalem, passing by a valley called Kidron, where Jesus and we know David passed by it and several stories and the Gospels happened there. But it was the night before crucifixion. And Gatshmanim or Gatsmani means oil press. What does it mean? Oil press. Because if you have a Mount of Olives, the trees up on the top of Mount of Olives would be what? What kind of, what kind of trees? Olives. And olives not just used for eating, you know, and throwing its bits. Olives back then were used for mainly and predominantly for oil. 
Oil was so important. Still, I mean, you ask every Palestinian home in Jerusalem or in Palestine, how much oil, olive oil do you consume? They consume tanks and tanks and tanks of this. They eat it with hummus. Do you know hummus? They eat it with yogurt. They eat it with rice. They cook with it. They fry with it. It's every, every bone that we have, every cell that I have has a point or has some olive oil in it. And they say it's healthy. <laughs> but at this moment of stress, Jesus needed to go to a familiar place where he had fellowship with his father, the Abba Father, Abba, the close person to God the Son, where he needed some close time of strength to go forth forward to the next 24 hours or less that Jesus have to go through. But we see through this kind of like pendulum of going back, praying, going back to his disciples, going back, praying, going back to the disciples, that Jesus is, is vulnerable. He's vulnerable. We see Jesus' vulnerability and prayer during this story. He implored the Father to take a, the cup of suffering from him. It says verse 9, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. You see, this tells us, and if we want to take and glean some practical advices from this, and we can talk about it later on at the conclusion, you could see the depth of Jesus' submission to God's will, even in the midst of his intense struggle. You see, Jesus' humanity and empathy, Jesus experiencing genuine, genuine human emotions, including sorrow and distress. I was just, uh, one of the songs just talked about God standing with us in the time of agony. And in another, another pericope in Mark or in John, talks about Jesus going through this moment exactly. What verse 9 had told us. His face to the ground and praying. And in another text it says that while he's praying, his sweat was going down. You see me sweating. I sweat even if there is air conditioning, so don't worry. But as Jesus was sweating... It says that even blood gushed out of his forehead and started dropping. He was in a moment where, you know, in science they say this agony, it says like this, agony is a state of severe, extended physical, mental, or emotional pain or discomfort. The word agony can describe an intense pain experienced in the body or mind. Emotional agony is severe psychological pain that some may experience for short extended period to an event or mental health condition. And Jesus was at its deepest point. Honestly, you could see Jesus battling as he's agonizing, as he's feeling the pain of what he needs to go through 
And just knowing that he doesn't deserve it. We deserve it. Jesus doesn't deserve it. We deserve it. I had actually a discussion with a person that I was sharing the gospel with him. He's almost 70 years old man. And his argument with me for not accepting Jesus as his Lord is saying, this is what he said. I know I am a sinner. I mean, this guy shocked me. He says, I know I am a sinner and I deserve hell. But I know as well I don't deserve Jesus dying for me on the cross for I'm not worth it. It's a paradox, to be honest with me. It's a dichotomy. Like, he knows he doesn't deserve it, but at the same time, he feels that he's too far from God to save him, not knowing that this is exactly what Jesus was feeling. He took our place, brothers and sisters. He took our place so that we can take from his suffering and struggling, not just lessons to learn how to live in our lives, but to understand more, more and more the mercy and grace that he bestowed upon us so that in every day we live in debt for this price that was paid on your behalf and my behalf. To God be the glory. Jesus was in conflict within himself when he, his disciple, you know, he goes to the disciples and asking them, would you watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation? As he was struggling as, as, a, as a man, as a human, as going through such suffering, he also went to implore his disciples, please, if it's not for my sake, for your sake, you don't know what's going on with you. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. In short, verse like this, we are introduced to this whole struggle that all of us on a daily basis we go through. The war that is between our flesh and spirit. It's what Paul describes in Galatians 5.16. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And the flesh and the spirit are not opposed to one another. Not only opposed to one another. Apostle Paul describes that this is something that goes on and on and on and always in our lives to the point that you have to really all the time seek the strength of the Lord so that you will come even overcome your own self and your own flesh as you go through struggles. This is exactly what was going on with Jesus. He's asking God to give him the strength so that his spirit will continue on overcoming every desire of the flesh to be released from suffering. Simply put, by submitting our lives to Jesus sometimes and by seeking his strength sometimes is our solution to be strengthened through times of struggles and suffering like Jesus. You see, we all need the strength of God to stand in the midst of the storms, to withstand suffering, to endure persecution, and we have no option but do what Jesus did. I'm not saying this as just a simple solution that sometimes if you're going through financial difficulties or medical issues, 
Your children are being away from you, or it might be emotional, it might be between couples, all sorts of struggles that this life has to offer to us, and sometimes they come, they come without us even inviting them. And it is actually most of the times like this. How many of us will wake up in the morning and say, I need today to, you know, you know, have a financial crisis, or I need the bank to call me and say, your, your account is in, uh, in the red. No one is inviting this. It just comes for difficulties of life that we're living in. Struggles, earthquakes, you know, in, 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 in a context different than another context. Last week, this weekend, actually on Sunday of this, what day is today? Is today is, sad, sad. so last Sunday, okay, six days ago. I was in Jordan with a group of my students. My students had been already there, 21 of them, some staff and some of the students from the Bethlehem Bible College went and we do this like twice a year where we take a group of uh, students and uh, staff for two weeks to go serve with the Syrian refugees in Jordan. Now, if you know anything about the Palestinians, the Palestinians, we are all or mostly we are refugees. We've been going through difficulties and, and wars almost for now 80 years or more, almost a decade. And just God, about 10 years ago, as I started leading this college, said, you know, there's this crisis happening in Syria. And Syrian refugees are flooding into Jordan, and some churches started these initiatives to serve these suffering, struggling Syrian refugees. What if we as refugees, former refugees, or still some of us have this refugee status, who were saved by God's grace, who carry the message of the gospel, could go and share with these people about the love of God. Would that make, would that make impact? And honestly, brothers and sisters, every time, I mean, this is why I'm saying this, because that past Sunday and Monday, I was there serving with my students in Jordan, visiting these Syrian refugees, talking with the Syrian kids and helping, and 100% of them are Muslims. And you know what happens? These Syrian refugees know that these Palestinians are refugees as well, but they're coming to help them, teach them, give them food, give them medical needs, serve with them, pray with them, help them, visit them, give them just something simple, but comforting them. You cannot believe the impact. It adds, I mean, the pastor told me this. He said, we receive about 200 groups on a yearly basis. But whenever your group or any other Palestinian or Arabic-speaking groups, and specifically Palestinians, come to serve among the people that we're serving with, we have a hard, a hard or larger impact. And I, I know why. Because we are a suffering people that are going through suffering, yet in the middle of our suffering, because we experience God's grace and mercy and love, we are able to go and empathize with certain group of people, and our service to them has another level of impact on their lives. Do you understand me? You get this? So sometimes as we go through certain struggles, it's like what, what Paul tells us in, in 2 Corinthians 3. It's because you have been comforted by God during your time of struggle, your time of agony, your time of suffering, your time of hardship. 
When you were so low and God's grace visited your life and gave you the strength and raised you again on your feet, you are able to go and comfort those who are in distress. So don't belittle or ignore the times that God comforted your life because it has a missional value. You understand? It has a gospel kingdom level value that could reach out far away to change lives so that people would tell you and come back and serve Jesus as you are doing it. So that God be the glory. And this is what we learn and we glean that in stand, to stand firm in the middle of the storm, to stand suffering and endure persecution, you see us submitting our lives to the Father and the Father using us wherever we are. Jesus' courageous faithfulness in surrendering to the Father's will gave us salvation. And so when we are going through certain difficult times and we overcome it with God's strength, we are able as well to offer the message of salvation to those around us. So please see that what Jesus has done before us, trusting in God's, the Father's wisdom, give us this, gives, gives him the strength to endure the moment. Brothers and sisters, it's important to reflect on the areas of our lives where we need to courageously surrender to God's will. I don't know you. I know some of you. But many of us might be going through difficult times that only you know about it. So please submit it to the Lord and surrender to the Lord. And may your prayer be, not my will, but your will be done. And submission to God's will is, is, a, is we can take it from Jesus as a model. Peter said to us in chapter 5, 6 to 7, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. The same word, humble yourself, has the meaning of submitting yourself, coming under God's sovereignty. As Jesus surrendered to the will of the Lord... The word of God advises our lives. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I see this verse very comforting. It doesn't tell us that difficulties might not pass our lives, but it tells us when you cast them on the Lord, his strength will come and comfort you. I believe wholeheartedly because I did experience it in different moments of my life. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things. Can you say that with me? Through Christ who strengthens me. How do you think Jesus was able to go through this 15, 20 hours between that night of Gethsemane and lifting up on the cross? It's with God's strength he had to endure. Paul in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies, again, submit, surrender, submit your body, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this word, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
In James 4, 7, it says, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And probably, this is what we saw going on when Jesus was going through this agonizing moment. Probably the devil was just waiting on him so that Jesus will break down and say, I don't want it anymore. I don't want this cup. But because of the strength of God and submitting himself to God, the devil flee from Jesus. And Jesus was able to endure this very moment of suffering. There's an impact, huge impact of Jesus' faithfulness in that garden of Gethsemane to what happened later on, including his arrest, trial, and crucifixion. Jesus' example of faithfulness inspires us to remain faithful in our own trials and challenges. I say that again. Jesus' example of faithfulness inspires all of us to remain faithful in our own trials and challenges. And we need to encourage each other and encourage everyone to draw our strength from Jesus' unwavering faithfulness as we navigate through our own walks of lives and difficult streams that each one of us are living through. What we could learn, and I can come to my conclusion at this moment. What can we learn from such a story, a powerful one, of Jesus' low, agonizing, hard moments that he sets an example of submitting himself to the Father's will, to God's will? Still at that time, he wants to encourage his disciples so that they as well withstand any moment of trial, we know that they couldn't for a reason. They had to flee away and he was left alone. Yet alone, he was able to go through this. For one major reason, he surrendered everything to God's will. So can we learn from Jesus? Can we learn from his life? Can we learn about his faithfulness? Can we respond to what he did? Of course, I mean, the scriptures are full of examples of people submitting their lives to God going through trials. Abraham, Moses, David, we heard the psalm this morning. Paul and Peter are the disciples. Do you know that probably, 100% except probably for John, that the disciples were martyred because of Christ? And it continued on. People are being persecuted, people are being killed because they followed Christ in his walk. I mean, in the context that I'm living in, it's not a strange thing. I mean, we made it strange that sometimes when a church is burned or uh, you are attacked or someone is being even killed, sadly, that it is a very strange thing. But, you know, for early Christians and Christians in many places in China and India and in the Muslim world and in many other places, including the country that I come from, Persecution is not a strange thing. We hear it happen. It's not just we take it for granted. We don't take it for granted. It's difficult. Yet, we're not shocked. Because it's part of the package deal of submitting your life and surrendering your life to Christ himself. So his faithfulness at the Garden of Gethsemane teaches us a lot. First, we learn from him, prayer. 
We learn from him. Can you say the word prayer? Prayer. Can we, if I'm not rude with us all, do you think we don't pray enough? Do you think we give prayer its due diligence and time and that it How many of us feel shortcoming in prayer? I feel it all the time. I don't give time. I don't give God the proper time to pray. And I ask myself why I'm not <laughs> being able to stand trials that I go through. And at the contrary, it's not only during trials that I need to pray. Because you see this happening all the time, only when there is difficulty. You see us praying and fasting and praying and fasting. But when things are regular and normal, do we pray? Do we spend the time that we need to spend in prayer? I think all of us are guilty of this, right? Right? Let's start correcting that, please. It's important. If it, prayer was very important in the life of Jesus himself, for God's sake, this is Jesus. How is it for, for us? You know, this is Jesus, the one that raised the dead. How is it then, the, the frail and the fragile, and just at the first trial that comes in our face, we just crumble down to our faces? I, st I experienced it. I still experience it all the time. Every trial has just come to my face and said, woe is me. I'm done. It's only God's mercy and strength that kind of like lifts me up again to stand on my feet and continue on walking my journey of faith. But we need to pray, brothers and sisters. Let's encourage each other and, and, and be encouraged to seek guidance and strength through prayer. Prayer is a source of strength. And in this passage particularly, we see Jesus seeking solace and strength through prayer. And it does remind us of the importance of seeking God's presence and guidance in times of distress, but as well in every time. Through prayer, we can find comfort, clarity, renewed strength to face life's challenges. As we reflect on Jesus' prayer and, the, and that garden of Gethsemane, may it inspires us to approach God with honesty, surrender, and trust. May we find solace in his presence and draw strength from his examples so that we navigate through the difficulties of our lives. So first practical step is prayer. Second, which is obvious, studying and meditating on his word. God's word, the Bible. Should I ask the first question again? Or we all feel guilty that we don't give the Bible its proper time. We should give it more time. Right? Please, brothers and sisters, let's engage in regular Bible study and meditation. I mean, I wish, uh, you know, I, I, I could replicate. Again, I I'm, I'm always inspired by the Commission Initiative, by your churches, by your leadership, Richard and Matt, and all the amazing team that are working. They love the Word of God, and they take the Word of God, and they have a desire zealousy, you know, in their hearts to teach it to you and bring it to you and open it to you and explore it and, and exegete it and expose it so that you understand the Word of God in a deeper way. Not all the churches does this. 
Please take the chances of the Bible studies that they're offering and the books that they're writing and the sermons that they're preaching and the talks that they're giving. It's so important for our lives so that we can still endure every trial we go through in this life. God's word transforms our minds and hearts. And let's seek to understand Jesus' teaching, his life, his character through his word and apply them to our lives. Thirdly, we need to love others. Loving those who struggle around us. Remember, just mentioned a while ago that sometimes as we go through difficult times and we see God's mercies interfere and helps us to stand firm, let's do the same to others. Let's encourage others. Let's implore others so that as we have gone and experienced God's strength, let's as well tell the others about these experiences that we have. This is a missional task that we all have to do in our lives. As we share about his love, sharing the good news of the gospel message with others. You know, there are a lot of people in London who needs to experience God's love. And the ones that carry this torch and this message and this challenge is you. Don't expect only from your pastors and missionaries and evangelists to do the task, right? We carry the task with them or not? Are we also ambassadors or not? We are. So let's take it as part of our calling that whenever someone is suffering, let's share the good news with them. And at the end, obedience to his commands. Let's strive to live in obedience to Jesus' teaching. Seek to align our lives, our actions, attitudes, and choices with his example of life so that we can reflect his character on those around us. And in conclusion, I say, as we reflect on Jesus' courageous faithfulness in the Garden of Gethsemane, let us be inspired by his unwavering commitment to the Father's will. May his example of surrender and trust empower us to faithfully follow him. Even in the face of trials and challenges, let us find strength in the assurance that Jesus understands our struggles, understands what we go through, and he will provide the strength and grace that we need to remain faithful in every circumstance. Jesus was ready to be pressed at the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane means olive press. And at that olive press, Jesus was crushed, was pressed, so that the oil that comes out of him, the blood that gushed out of his forehead, of his side, of his hands, of his forehead and feet, would save the lost world that we're living in. So it was worth it. Jesus was ready to be pressed for glory. Are we ready to be pressed for glory as well? Let us pray. Father, we beseech you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to give us the strength that we need for every day of our lives. Our lives are so hard and so difficult living in this hard world that we're living in. 
as my sister prayed just early on. So much difficulties, whether it is economic issues, refugee issues, family issues, emotional issues, relationships, or even being persecuted for the things we believe in and we stand for. All of those things, Lord, we, we realize if you needed the Father's strength, then we need more than anything your strength. So may Lord give us the strength to endure the moments of distress. But more than that, teach us, Lord, teach us, Lord, to surrender and submit to your will so that in every circumstance we say and pray, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Well, that's it for this one. We hope you found it really encouraging. And stay tuned as we continue to release talks from our great weekend away together. See you next time.